the best minds in wrestling today, and you damn well know it by now. We know more than Google, always have, always will. New show, bigger, better, badder, brother. Twice as famous, twice as rich. 2.0, here we go. Start the damn show already. What's going on, everybody? It's time for another episode. It's me, it's me, it's the J-A-T-double-B. Always on with my co-host. Superstar James Starring, the guy that makes the ladies scream until they cream. The legendary creaming. Um, <laughs> what you hear in the background is the beautiful, the beautiful sounds of downtown Hollywood, Florida. Um, I'm outside on my porch right now because I'm in a house full of women and I'm not allowed to record inside, basically. Yeah, that's a... Your mom's in town, huh? Yeah, my mom. My mom's here, so she's sleeping in the recording studio. And <laughs> Rachel won't let me record in the living room because we're too loud. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where we're at. So I'm just out here on the porch. Can't do anything, huh? Well, at least you get the the Miami nightlife. Yeah, I pay rent. But I gotta sit on the porch to do the show, the highest rated show on the internet. So I know. Well, look at it this way, at least if I had to sit on the porch and do it here, I'd be dead by the time the podcast is over because it's zero degrees today. Yeah, that is <laughs> nice. It does feel pretty good out here, but as we're recording, you're probably gonna hear motorcycles and uh, Latin music and <laughs> trains and dogs. This dog just barked at me from across the way here in another port, so just all the sights of, or not sights, but all the sounds of living in a downtown area. Yeah, oh yeah. But I think it'll be good. <laughs> it should be good. You hear that? <laughs> what was so, that? That's a dude right on a moped or something, dirt bike just going down the road. Moped, he can't afford a car? No, they all ride mopeds down here, man. Yeah, I know. They probably all work at food trucks, too. Yeah. I ate at a food truck for dinner tonight. I took my <laughs> mom down the food truck. I ordered Chinese for dinner, and it's going to be here in the middle of us doing the podcast. Yeah, so we might have to take a break for Jamie's fat ass to eat. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, new episode. Jamie, what kind of beer are we drinking tonight? I uh, just opened one up. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did hear the crack. Um, right now, I have a Sour Apple Goza from Ska Brewing uh, out of Durango, Colorado. It's actually really good if you like uh, green apple. And a Goza is a beer. It's a style. Uh, it's brewed with salt. So, um, in a, in a nice little kettle. I don't know. Tastes good. You'd probably love it. If you like uh, the original Apple Warhead, you would like this. Yeah, if I want to drink a Warhead, I'm sure I would like it. Um, <laughs> what are you drinking? Do you still have, um, uh, what was it? What kind of flu did you get? Uh, cleanse flu. Bot flies? Yeah, no. I'm done with that cleanse, so I've, I've been well for a few days now. But, um, yeah, I am still eating clean. But since my mom's here, you know, my mom's from the middle of nowhere, Alabama. 
she don't get to eat cool stuff. So we've been taking her out to eat at a lot of places. So I, I cheated a little bit this weekend, but um, that's okay. I'm sure she's happy to see you. Yeah, my mom turned me on to the sparkling water. I think that's what it's called. It's like it tastes like a flat soda, but um, what's the name brand of it? Dasani. Uh, Coke. She also bought bubbly, something yeah. bubbly. I don't know, but um, I've got one of them mango bubblies in my so fridge. Yeah, no, I, I got a Yeti cup full of that with some gin in it. Listen, so I do. Yeah, I made myself a cocktail. <laughs> Drinking gin these days. Yeah, something light. I don't need to get too crazy with my mom here. Yeah. But uh, I started buying them sparkling waters just because uh, when I get home from work, sometimes, you know, I close. I have to, if I have to close one of my bars, I'll get home at, you know, sometimes three in the morning. And all I want to do is drink beer, but I can just crack open one of them sparkling waters instead of slamming down two or three beers before I pass out. I just drink one of those. Yeah, they're actually pretty good. I mean, now that I'm not drinking soda, I, think, I feel like if I was drinking soda all the time, it just tastes like a flat soda and be terrible. Yeah. But now that I'm not drinking soda, it's really not that bad. Yeah, I quit soda too. It's pretty, it's hard to not drink soda when all your bars have like Dr. Pepper on the gun. But I quit it too. And I drink those bubblies and those uh, LaCroix or LaCroix or whatever they are. Yeah, those are good too. Yeah. So, pause for the cause. Pay our bills real quick. We had to take a short break. Uh, Jamie's food came in. Uh, our sponsorships helped pay for those meals. Yep, free meal tonight. Yeah, whether whether it be something healthy that I eat or Chinese food that Jamie's fat ass orders. So, <laughs> I'm about to go to San Diego for a week. I gotta. I got nothing in the fridge. I I eat all my food. There you go. So um, we're, we're going to keep it rocking and rolling. Um, as, as, as we speak, like I said, I'm out here on my porch recording this, which is hilarious. You're going to hear a lot of interesting stuff. But um, my neighbor directly to my left is a porch not too far from me. And I can say this openly because I don't think she speaks English. But there's an old old Cuban lady smoking a cigar on her porch and staring at me nonstop because I am standing on my porch wearing headphones, holding a microphone to my mouth (laughs) and just talking to myself as I stare out into downtown Hollywood. So she either thinks I'm bad shit crazy or she's a huge fan of the show and she knows exactly what's going on. I bet she's probably a fan of the show and is just itching to get her. Maybe you should see if she has anything to say next time she comes out. Yeah, probably a 0% chance she speaks English, but we we are um, – uh, Jamie's bi in many ways, but the show is bilingual. <laughs> or actually, yeah. uh, 70 lingual. Yeah, 70 lingual. So, our, yeah. We can broadcast the show in 70 different languages. Um, that's why we are probably, we reach the vast majority of the planet. Uh, we're worldwide, not just right. national. Yeah, that's why we have so many fans and we got these sponsorships and 
Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, Costa Rica, Australia. Yeah, even – I mean, there was, what, the one feedback from the 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 climate change guy in Antarctica who listens yeah. to us weekly. So, uh, he's down there. Japan, um, we got followers from Japan. Oh, yeah, tons of them. I – I honestly thought we'd have more in Japan, to be honest, as big as we are over there. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. And I know we talk a lot of shit on the show, but those are all legit facts we just named. Yeah. From places that people have listened to our show before. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, we're worldwide. And this, as the fan next to me staring at me probably well knows, this is a good episode for her to – tune into live because this is actually our very first ever pay-per-view review show as we as we promised this is kind of a slower news week i would say i mean there's a couple things we could discuss if we really wanted to but i think it's the perfect time for us to do our first review show yeah i believe so too i'm pretty excited looking forward to this show i know that uh some of our fans are going to pop real hard uh they're a mark they mark out for this pay-per-view big time yeah, so we actually went back on the WWE Network, watched Wrestle War '92, WCW pay per view from 1992. Yeah, great um, pay per view. Yeah, tremendous pay per view with a lot of great talent on it. So we're gonna break it down. Um, me and Jamie each watched it and took notes, vigilant notes, and then I also went back and. Got the Wrestling Observer newsletter from 1992, and so I have some Dave Meltzer notes. So, the three best minds in professional wrestling uh, journalism are going to break down the show for you. Yep. We are going to start with a few notes. This is actually from the Wrestling Observer newsletter the week before Wrestle War. So, a few days before, um, Dave Meltzer would write. First in a big series of shows for WCW over the next eight weeks, Wrestle War 92 takes place Sunday night in Jacksonville. It's the first of WCW's gamble at trying to put together four major shows in a short period of time. There's not a lot to say about Wrestle War other than it's your classic one-match card. Whatever interest there is in the war games, what will make or break the show will be the war games. The undercard is such that if it wasn't for war games, it would be a bad house show. Generally speaking, War Games is a type of match that is excellent live, but sometimes it doesn't come across well on television. It also guarantees time, which is needed for the main event on a show, which will have seven matches to fill nearly three hours. War Games can go no less than 21 minutes by virtue of the rules, and probably will go around 25. The remainder of the show has Rick and Scott Steiner in a non-title match against Takeuki Azuka. <laughs> and Tatsumi Fujinami, pretty sure I got those right. Yeah. From Japan in a match to determine the number one contenders for the IWGP tag titles currently held by Bam Bam Bigelow and Big Van Vader. Um, Fujinami is a wrestling legend, but he's no longer a super worker. As part of the angle in Japan, he hasn't even wrestled in a few months. And while he has great ring knowledge, physically he isn't there anymore. Azuka is a very good mid-card talent for New Japan, 
and he'll be the key to making the match good. Brian Pillman versus Tom Zink for the light heavyweight title in a babyface match appears to be one of those feast or famine types. Traditionally, face versus face matches don't get a lot of crowd reaction, although one can point to Pillman versus Liger and Sting and Lex Luger versus Steiners. <coughs> Recently, he has uh, matches that were good. Um, so, yeah, he says you have to figure most of these matches will be 10 to 15 minutes. About 1,400 tickets and $29,000 were sold. This, of course, is the week before. Um, given, they'll probably be given seats away. Uh, it seats seven thousand. Should be should be difficult for them to pay for the house to make it look good on TV, but it's not a good sign for WCW when can't fill up the building. So, breaking all that down, looking at it from the perspective like you're about to watch this pay per view that you haven't seen in a long time, it's hard to disagree that really War Games is the main match you're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean that's why they're having the pay per view. Uh is for the war games. Uh, he's pretty negative about all that stuff. Yeah, I think, well, especially back then, I think he was negative about a lot of stuff. But um, Yeah, 92. I mean, 92 was a good year. I thought WCW had some good pay-per-views, and so did WWEF. Uh, but he was, you know, like I said, it was at, he said it's a Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum. It was May 17th, 1992, but there were 6,000 people in attendance, so they must have given away 4,600 free tickets, according to him. But, I mean, well, they could have sold some more within that week, but, yeah, I think they did end up giving away a lot of seats. Um, I, I assume back then you didn't buy tickets online, obviously, so you just showed up at the day. Like, you had to go down to the fucking uh, – you had to go wait in line and go down and buy them. So I assume, like, everybody just showed up and bought their shit that weekend of or that day. Uh, yeah, he actually said here in the Observer after the pay-per-view, um, it drew about 6,000 fans out of an 8,000-person capacity, and the live gate was around 72,000, which indicates a paid attendance in the 5,000 range. So 5,000 out of 6,000 were paid. Yeah. Uh Buy, pay-per-view buy rates, extremely low. Probably the lowest ever for a WCW pay-per-view. But isn't surprising since the card was poorly organized beforehand. So, yeah, he's not very uh, excited about the build to this pay-per-view. Yeah, they did just kind of throw a lot of this stuff together. But the War Games, like, you know, we're looking up to War Games. And this is basically the Dangerous Alliance had just formed. Like, Rick Rude had just been into, went to WCW. A lot of things are happening right now at WCW. Guys are jumping ship. Also, WCW had lost Flair, you know, early on that year, right? Yeah, and they're also in a transition phase with um, booking, and uh, Bill Watts took over right around this time. So, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in WCW right now. Yep. Um, but, yeah, we can um, get right into it. We're going to – basically, we're going to give our notes each match. Um I thought it was interesting here. They mentioned that there was a dark match that yeah. didn't didn't air on the pay per view, but it was Diamond Dallas Page and Thomas Rich, yeah, Tom. Bob, Bob Cook and Chip the Firebreaker, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. Yeah, um, I mean Wildfire Rich, he was in. I mean, you know, he we watched him wrestle Roadkill. Yeah, and uh, 
I remember Firebreaker Chip. I remember Diamond Dallas Page, obviously, but um, <laughs> DDP Yoga. Do it every but, day. Uh, yeah, hilarious dark match. I wish I could have seen that. Yep. Um, the first match, um, well, actually, I wanted to mention the pay-per-view starts. You have a young Eric Bischoff and Tony Schiavone kind of, um, you know, off the stage area, kind of like what the pre-show panel of you know, that day. Yeah, they're the host um, for the show. Right. And I think and Shivani gonna... had just come back from – Shivani was in WWF, and he just came back to WCW within that year, I think. Right. And um, they're going to, you know, host the show. They're going to be coming in and out with them throughout the show. But they they, they kick it to the announcers, which is a, a young Jim Ross, pre-stroke Jim Ross. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and uh, Jesse the Body Ventura, one of my favorite announcers of all time. Uh-huh. And I, I don't think this is their first show together, but you can tell they don't really want to be working with each other. I mean, they hated each other. You can tell everything Jesse said. Jim Ross just got mad at. Like, oh yeah, their their styles are definitely different. Jim Ross is more of like a, he wants to call it like legit Southern wrestling and. Jesse Ventura wants to play the heel and make fun of him the whole time. So, and they're both very good at what they do. Right, it's just different styles, and they definitely clash throughout the show. And you can see it getting more and more awkward as the show goes on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so they're announcing um, the first match: the Fabulous Freebirds against Greg the Hammer Valentine and the Taylor Made Man Terry Taylor. Um, if you don't remember the Freebirds, I mean, turn turn the podcast of, off. Yeah, one of the greatest entrance music of all time. But they didn't come out to Bad Street USA at this one. It was. Oh, a weird, I didn't even notice that. It was a weird entrance song. Was it? Yeah, I didn't even notice that. It was weird. I don't. I think they had just came. They had just gotten into WCW at the time, or something like, or whatever. I don't know, but they didn't have Bad Street USA. It was a weird song. I was pissed. I immediately stood up when they came this out is, because Jimmy Jam Garvin. Yeah, Jamie Jam Garvin, and this is kind of towards the end of their career. Yeah, you know, they were really famous in world class champ, world class wrestling from Texas. Um. You know, with the Von Erichs and that feud, and they were huge. And this is kind of later on in their careers. Um, Michael Hayes looks hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they both look hilarious. It's almost yeah. like they were trying to get a resurgence, you know? Yeah. Uh, Greg the Hammer of Valentine looks like Greg the Hammer Valentine. He's looked the same for 40 years. <laughs> uh, good. And, he is a friend of the show, though. Yeah, good friend of the show. And uh, Terry Taylor here is doing his. I don't know if you call it a million dollar man ripoff. Um, I know that's what WWF would claim, but yeah, he's just he, like a I don't know, like a rich asshole, I guess. The tailor made man, like all his suits are tailor made. Everything is like, you know, he's ritzy and can afford stuff. Yeah, he's better than you. Yeah, and he probably was back then. Yeah, back um, then. Yeah. This match was also for the. Um, U.S. tag titles, which was a hilarious belt at the time. Yeah, WCW United States Tag Team Championship match. Yeah, basically the backup 
tag team champions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, whoever won still didn't get to face the, the Steiner brothers were the heavyweight tag team champions at the time. Right. So here's what Meltzer had to say about this match. The Freebirds won the tag titles in 15 minutes, 59 seconds. If I was running the company, I'd drop these useless belts. How special can title belts be if you got guys like this in the title picture? It would have been super in 1983. The guys all worked hard, but the only one of the four who still has it in the ring is Taylor, and his credibility has been totally destroyed. Execution and timing wasn't the greatest, but it had a good storyline with all the apparent finishes and saves. The build-up to the finale where Garvin had Taylor hooked for the DDT, but Valentine came in for a save. Garvin ducked down and backdropped him. Hayes cut off Valentine while Garvin hit the DDT on Taylor for the pin. He gave it one star and three quarters. Yeah, how many stars did he does he go up to? Four or five? Five. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, well, B- Bill, we rate, we, we rate our matches by beers. Yeah, one through five beers. Are we doing it, or do we go up to ten beers? I don't remember. Yeah, we did ten beers. That's what I thought. But well, we first we had Bill Alfonso as the referee. Yeah, for those of you who don't remember, he was a famous ECW referee. Yep, he was for a and long time. Man- manager Sabu, who blew his whistle nonstop when Sabu came out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So for me, the match, I didn't think it was a bad story at all. Um, I liked seeing. I always like seeing the Freebirds, but you know they're coming in. They're the challengers. You know, usually they hold the titles. It was cool to see them chase the. You know, they're chasing the titles. Uh, for me, you know, 16-minute match, they, the Freebirds kind of dominated it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Valentine and Taylor kind of used some good old-fashioned heel tactics. Like, they did a couple eye rakes, and they distracted the referee and made some saves. Uh, just some cheap heat to draw from the crowd. And then uh, once Garvin hit the DDT, it was over. But, you know, a bit one-sided. Um, kind of like an old-school match. Uh you almost think that it would be like watching that match. You'd almost think the Freebirds were the champions. You know, they start off hot. Uh, they get overtaken, some, a lot of cheap heat, a lot of old school heel tactics, and then they overcome that. Uh, and when the crowd ate it up, though, the crowd was loud as crap during that match. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's a, it was definitely an old school match. I enjoyed it just for the, the work rate. wasn't the best, but – you know, in 2019, most of the matches you see are going to be like move A to move B to move C. But this was classic old school wrestling where they told a story. Like from the beginning of the match to the end of the match, there was build to the end of that match to where you get invested in the story of a match. They don't do that anymore, in my opinion. No, and there's but, you, um, like the, the biggest difference you can see that these guys actually made a living on working a crowd. Like they had right. to sit down and talk their stuff, but they definitely worked the crowd. Like, especially I really, I wish that they would have done a little more, you know, obviously it's the free birds. So they had to take over. Uh, they had to do their shit. They had to come out, you know, guns blazing. They're the free birds, but I would have liked to have seen a little more heel action from uh, Valentine and Taylor. Uh, it would have made the comeback a little better. I thought, but back then, it worked out perfect for me. I enjoyed the match. I liked it. I thought it was a good way to start off the pay-per-view. They started off hot. Crowd blew up. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I'm a huge mark for the Freebirds anyways. And 
the crowd did pop huge when they won. It was hilarious to me how much Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin were sweating. Yeah. <laughs> from what seemed like little work. Uh, yeah, from a bunch of punches and elbows. Yeah, you could just tell Michael Hayes was just dripping beer. Yeah. But speaking of beer, let's rate this match real quick. What would you give it? Um, I, Dude, I'm going to give it six beers. I just yeah, I, I thought it was perfect to start the show off. Like, I thought it set a great tone for the pay per view. I thought they told a nice little story in 16 minutes, and and they were done, and the Freebirds won the titles. Like, I'm happy. Just the Freebirds winning the titles. That's immediately three beers for me. Yeah, I gave it five beers. Um, like I said, not the greatest match to watch looking back, but. It was fun. It was a fun old school match that you don't get to see anymore. So that part of it was cool for me, and I enjoyed watching it. Good opener. Yep, really good opener. Next match, Johnny B. Bad versus Tracy Smothers, which is just hilarious. But um, <laughs> watching Johnny B. Bad come out with that cape with the streamers attached at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it brought back so many memories, but I, I love Johnny bad dude hilarious character um for those of you who don't know dusty rose basically saw mark mayro wrestle a dark match and said it reminded him of johnny b bad or (laughs) reminded him a little richard so johnny b bad is kind of a little richard ripoff hilarious character you gotta go back and watch johnny b bad yeah johnny b bad shout the uh yeah. He had the lips on his uh, trunks. And the lips that he put on fans, which was yep. hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. He had this giant lip sticker that he would put on a fan's cheek. But yeah, hilarious. Johnny Bad. Trace, Tracy Smothers been wrestling for a thousand years. Um, yeah. He's a, a redneck wrestler, but um, <laughs> here's he's what Tracy Smothers. Yeah, that's all you can say, really. But you don't want to uh, get in a fight with him. You need to wrestle him. <laughs> here's what Meltzer says. Uh, Johnny B. Bad pinned Tracy Smothers in six minutes and 59 seconds. Although it was hard for these two to get heat, let alone maintain it, Smothers did a good job in carrying the match. There were some nice moves, particularly Smothers doing a flying elbow drive off the top rope, and Bad's impressive sunset flip off the top rope. Bad won with a left hook. One star and three quarters. <laughs> so, not a fan of this match. Meltzer wasn't. But um, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I don't. It was. It wasn't great. It was fast paced. It needed to. I mean, obviously. So they're going to have to work. They had to work after the Freebirds first of all. Um, let, which, like we said, got a of, huge pop from the crowd yeah. when they won. Freebirds got a huge pop, so you know the crowds. You know they're they're trying to catch their breath. Um, my favorite thing about the match really was Jesse the Body Ventura's commentary. Uh, he made sure to call him Little Richard and scream at him. Uh, he definitely said that his trunks mean "kiss my ass" because uh, the lips on him. He was saying basically the body was trying to make. Johnny be bad into the heel, and well, you I'm can tell you, you can tell from watching it that Ventura had never seen Johnny be bad before. 
No, he'd never seen Johnny. He didn't know what was going on. It confused him, but he does a great job as a heel trying to make the face look like a heel. Like, just with the shit he says. Right. The goofy shit, like that lit, those lips on his tights. I think they mean kiss my ass. <laughs> um, which is hilarious. Um, I really, I don't know. Johnny Bad was a good wrestler. Mark Mayer, a good wrestler. I liked, uh, thought it was pretty fast paced. It, it was what it needed to be. Uh, I like that power slam into the sunset flip. Uh, and then he hit him with the kiss that don't miss. And uh, and even when he hit him with a kiss that don't miss, Jesse Ventura complained about it being a, a close fist that he cheated to win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, not much going on. Tracy Smothers, he did some, some stuff. You know, he did his little, you know, basic wrestling, wrestling 101. Uh, and Johnny, Johnny B. Bad did a couple crazy moves and it was over. Uh, nothing great, nothing to write home about. Yeah, I agree. Not, not the best match. Everything I love this ma- about this match was, well, Jesse Ventura was awesome on commentary. I agree with that, but the, the Johnny B. Bad character just makes me die laughing. And, um, how awesome of a finisher name is the kiss I don't miss. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Even though it's basically just a left hook, but yeah, <laughs> um, I love that finisher name. So everything about Johnny B. Bad is the only thing I really liked about this match. I, I give it two beers just for the Johnny B. Bad entertainment. Yeah, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a beer and a half. Uh, if he had been wrestling anyone else in the world besides Tracy Smothers, I'd be on two beers. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. But yeah, the kiss that don't miss. I mean, unless if he's in the same room with me or you, he's getting all the ladies. Oh, for sure. He got Sable, so yeah, he sure did. <laughs> well, speaking um, of Sable, sorry to interject, but I did find. Uh, I started looking at neckties today because of somebody, and I found a Sable <laughs> a Sable necktie on sale on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, so the next segment was actually an interview in the back. Uh, the Freebirds with their new valet, Precious, out of nowhere. Precious looked different. She had dark hair. Yeah. She, she was with um, – if you don't remember Precious, she was with the Horseman back in the day, um, Tully Blanchard. But, yep. Um, she's with Jimmy Jam Garvin for no reason. But, um, <laughs> well, he's Jimmy Jam Garvin. That's the reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a pussy magnet. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone, uh, so Melzer said, even many who probably didn't recognize her come to trade. Speaking of pussy magnets. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how, many, how many cabs are on this train? How many cars? This is going to be awesome. Hold on. I didn't even see it yet. We just have the things coming down. Just off in the moonlight? Yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> after the interview is over, which I will say about the interview as the train rolls by, they dedicated their match to... Uh, uh, Van Zandt, who just died. Yeah. Just uh, 
mean, have you ever heard anything like that? No, you need to tell the goddamn Pinkertons to get out of it and stop running trains. Yeah, there's no reason to be training this late at night anyways. Yeah, I mean, where's the... I mean, I don't know. If it were my business, I'd have everything where it needed to be by 6 p.m. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, anyway, anyways, don't repeat who they dedicated the match for. So, they, they dedicated the match to Ronnie Van Zandt from Leonard Skinner, obviously. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. Yeah. Um, Ten years after he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what was amazing about it. A, a basic U.S. tag title match against Terry Taylor <laughs> and Greg Valentine. On a pay-per-view in Jacksonville, Florida, which it was in Jacksonville. Yeah. Leonard Skinner's from North Florida. Yeah. It was probably their first time wrestling there in 10 years, so they had to do yeah. something. It was I mean, hilarious. How incredible is Michael Hayes at, at, at just promos in general? I mean, he just screamed the whole time. He just yelled. <laughs> yeah. <they're, laughs> I'll tell you, man, the Freebirds are some of my favorite people in the world. Yep. But, uh. So, Tony Schiavone was actually able to make the save and let everyone know it was precious, even though there was no indication of it. Yeah. Or, by the way, significance of her being there. They just had to put a – they just took her – you know, she needed to be with somebody. Yeah, so hilarious. Um, The next match, Scotty Flamingo, which a lot of you will know is Raven. Yeah, or Johnny Uh, Polo. Yeah, pinned Marcus Bagwell. Marcus Alexander Bagwell, good friend of the show. Yeah. Um, here's what Meltzer said. Uh, pinned him in seven minutes, eight seconds by reversing a rolling reverse cradle and holding the trunks. The classic heel move. They did a smart opening where they slapped each other and went back and forth like a street fight. Because of Flamingo's like a size, he needs to get a lot of interview time and strong angles to get himself over because he can't make it on physical presence alone. Fortunately, he's a good interview. Um. He's also different from most younger wrestlers. He doesn't have spectacular offensive moves, but he has good heel psychology. Um, he gave this, besides talking about how awesome Raven is, he gave it one and a half star. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, first... <laughs> That's just an ambulance. Go ahead. Yeah, no big deal. That'll be fine. Um <laughs> They probably probably listened to the show live and uh, got too drunk. Yeah. Um. This match pretty much. I don't know. There's nothing happened in this match. No, it was pretty uh, terrible. My, my favorite thing that happened in the match is that both men went over the top rope, and none of them did it intentionally. So they ruled a no DQ. Uh, they ruled it a no disqualification because back then. If you throw your if you threw your opponent over the top rope, you could get disqualified uh, if it looked intentional. So it was always a way that a heel would wrestle. You know, when the ref turned his back, they'd throw the guy over the top rope. Everybody'd make a big deal out of it. Um, but they didn't call it. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, Raven countered a roll up into one of his own, and had a handful of tights. He he was working fine as a heel. They were both pretty young. You know. Uh, it's pretty much a nothing match. Yeah, nothing match. This is basically a young Raven, a young Buff Bagwell, just getting some work in, getting the reps in. Um, I agree with what Meltzer said. I mean, Raven isn't the best wrestler in the world, but 
a hell of an interview, man. I've been watching a lot of 96 Nitros with Raven. 97 yeah, Nitros. Oh, yeah. Incredible, incredible interview, incredible psychology. Um, but, yeah, these guys are young, kind of green. <clears throat> Nothing really exciting about the match. I did put in my notes here that the, this is a point where the commentary seems to be getting more and more awkward. Um, you can tell that Ventura is trying to, like, basically pitch a joke to Ross or get Ross fired up, and Ross is just ignoring everything he's saying. Yeah, Ross was pissed during that match because, uh, but I mean, I don't know. There was nothing to talk about during the match except for the over-the-top rope. Yeah. But nothing, this is kind of your third straight match, which, I mean, we did enjoy the Freebirds, but kind of your third just, eh, it's there kind of match. Filling time. So you start off with a pop, you get a couple of others. Um, I don't know, not much going on there. Uh, Yeah, I give it a beer. Yeah, I give it one beer, and that's only because they mentioned the DQ. Uh, How long is no DQ going over the top? Um. I did want to mention real quick right after this match, there was a promo for the Beach Blast pay-per-view that showed a bunch of wrestlers at the beach. Which was incredible. Yeah, incredible old-school promo, but it was hilarious because it was billed as Beach Blast, Buff Bods, and Bodacious Babes. (laughs) Which, Bodacious is a word we should bring back, I feel like. Yeah, what do you think, like, bombastic... um... Bob and Bodacious Bart, or is it the other way around? Is it Bob Deck? What was the, I don't know, anyway. Yeah, I can't remember which one was which, but I do want to start calling female fans of the show Bodacious Babes. Yeah, we do have a lot of Bodacious Babes out there. Yeah. And that's cool. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think that, yeah, that, oh man, Sting is amazing in that. It was I don't know. I love the old promos for the next, because at the pay-per-view, they would always have a promo for the next pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Yeah. And back like, back then, they were awesome. Yeah, way awesome. Yeah. All right, so after that awesome promo, we have um, a recap, basically, uh, to set up this next match. Ron Simmons, who went to my favorite school, Florida State. Um, hell of an athlete amazing wrestler but he's in the ring he's getting attacked by Cactus Jack and correct me if I'm wrong but it was Abdul the Butcher who for some reason wasn't in this match yeah I think it was but he was in the setup for this match yeah Um, I don't know what happened there the story there is but um, he's being attacked and Junkyard Dog comes out of the crowd in a full tuxedo And comes out to help Ron Simmons. Yeah, I mean, I love Junkyard Dog. I wish he was still – he's one of the guys that I would pick to still be alive. Oh, yeah, for sure. He, His headbutt from his knees is one of my favorite moves in wrestling. Ever. One of the greatest headbutts of all time. But, yeah, it's a little hilarious little segment they were showing kind of – for the first time since the first match or for the first time this pay-per-view, they showed you a backstory on something. <laughs> yeah, like some kind of setup up to a match. Yeah, yeah, and then 
it uh here's what happened and here's what's going on and it was kind of confusing everything that happened but that's all right they're trying um i guess as as some one of our friends would say let's just see where they go with it um yeah it was hilarious because the match starts so it's supposed to be Ron Simmons and Junkyard Dog versus Mr. Hughes and Cactus Jack. Yep. And um, basically, Ron Simmons and Junkyard Dog are coming out, and they just attack Junkyard Dog. Um, <clears throat> so here's what Meltzer wrote. Ron Simmons won in five minutes and 26 seconds with a shoulder block. Hilarious. It's scheduled <laughs> as a tag match. <laughs> With Junkyard Dog and Cactus Jack as respective partners, but Jack left the ring early and went to the back. When Dog and Simmons came out, Jack came out back out and attacked the Junkyard Dog. They brawled on the floor. Jack did the elbow off the ramp, which is pretty hardcore on the cement. Yeah. Um, Dog was helped out and turned into a singles match. So the match was neither bad nor good. The only thing memorable is Cactus Jack screeching outside the ring and Jesse Ventura's humor. Jack interfered once and twice, once or twice, and after the match, Simmons nailed him with a tackle as well, one and a half star, which is the highest rating he's given so far. <laughs> yeah, so I did look up. I, I did look it up. Apparently, Junkyard Dog was hurt, so they had to. He couldn't wrestle, so they had to ride him off, and they tried to ride him off like Cactus beating him up, beating him up. By the way, the Junkyard Dog is an incredible name for a wrestler. Like, yeah. That was an unbelievable fucking gimmick. I love Junkyard Dog. Um, so having Cactus, I mean, first of all, why does Cactus need a bodyguard in Mr. Hughes? I don't understand that because it's Cactus Jack. He's, you know, he did the elbow off the, uh, you know, el- I don't know. But anyway, so he beats up Dog, turns into the, you know, Mr. Hughes versus Ron Simmons, which is just out of nowhere. Everybody's like, wait a minute. My two favorite wrestlers are gone from this. <laughs> yeah, like, so, it was a really weird setup. Especially like after a, they just showed a video to hype, like, the Junkyard Dog being back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, Mr. Hughes doesn't know. He's not a very good wrestler. He just is, like, a clobberer. He, like, just did bunches, like, punches, kicks, and an elbow drop. Um, yeah, he, he played, like, 80 guys bodyguard. Like yeah, like a henchman. Like he's basically Bill Duke from uh, Commando. So, but yeah, Ron, he weathered the storm. And uh, I guess, I don't know, Jim Ross liked Ron Simmons. He was stoked about that hip toss. He started yelling about that hip toss. He yelled at a spine buster. And the funniest part about the only good thing about this match, again, I'll have to say this, I guess is the recurring theme is Jesse Ventura. Uh, he was mad that there wasn't an official announcement made that it was a singles match instead of a tag team match. <laughs> but he was, he was mad at the referee. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah. I mean, he's one of our favorite announcers of all time. So a lot of this is like how awesome Jesse Ventura was. Yeah. I, the match was pretty boring. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Nothing exciting in the match. I mean, I did Ron Simmons finishing mover being a shoulder block is incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, they um, built him as a football player, too, so right. he was a big, strong football guy. And Jim Ross always sold football guys. Like Jim, Ross, Jim Ross went apeshit for everything that Ronson has did. Yeah, he went apeshit, and it's because he's a football guy. Yeah, but another thing I noticed, the match wasn't that great, but um, Cactus Jack, even back then, um, well, you know what he became, but his mannerisms and his character work is just incredible. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, we got way more familiar with him as mankind, but he was doing those squeals and that weird shit as Cactus Jack. He was just, that just shows how good of a character he is and or how good of a character he would come by changing that gimmick completely, but doing the same exact shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. But, uh, uh, eh. An average, another average match. Um, we actually just took longer to review it than it lasted. Yeah, we actually did. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I give it. I'll give it one beer as well. I mean, I like Ron Simmons and Cactus Shack outside work was great. Yeah, I'm giving it. I actually agree with you. I'm, I'm giving it one beer. Uh, one beer because Jim Ross likes football and Jesse Ventura spent the whole match confused. Uh, so. Yeah, that's all I got to say. There you go. Okay, so the next match. Um, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know where to start. So, on, before the next match, here we go. <laughs> I needed one of those. So this, by the way, was voted worst. Super Invader, yeah. <laughs> um, who was basically Hercules Hernandez in a mask. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pin Todd uh, Champion, which is an amazing wrestling name. Todd yeah, Champion. Todd, Todd Champion is fucking hilarious as a wrestling name. Yeah. So here it is. Super Invader pin Todd Champion in five minutes and 27 seconds <laughs> in an unadvertised edition of the show. While Ventura and Jim Ross were good, but it would have been better if they were just doing banter over a screen with a test pattern. <laughs> this is almost the ultimate dream match the worst of the WWF against the worst of WCW and it lived up to everything it promised I can see the idea of wanting to put Invader on a big show to get him a win but they sure should have at least been more careful of who to pick as a jobber Invader won with a messed up headshot hardly the only messed up move of the match and a power bomb. the show up to this point was moving along at a lethargic pace but this match was a nosedive Negative one and a half star. Jesus Christ. Yeah, which also we didn't even mention that Super Invader Hercules Hernandez was managed by Harley Race. Harley Race, yeah, I was going to bring that up. All right, so first of all, Hercules Hernandez was incredible. Uh, He was incredible as a bad guy in WWF, and he was incredible as a good guy. Uh, They had that steel-bending competition, like the – he was just a body. Like, he didn't know what was going on. Uh, I don't know why they had him under a mask. I don't know why they – he went from Hercules to the super invader. Uh, I don't know what – I guess he's superb at invading. I, I don't know. He's one of the best invaders at, in 1992. Um, Todd well, he was Champion. super at it. Yeah. You, <laughs> Todd Champion is a fucking hilarious – basically what Todd Champion is is – Hercules and Harley Race were standing in the back pissed off because they weren't part of the pay-per-view. 
So somebody looked at this guy and goes, hey, Todd Champion, get your ass out there, and made him just get squashed by Hercules so Harley Race could be seen on TV. Uh, the crowd paid no attention to it. It was basically like a women's match. Everybody went to the bathroom. Uh, Todd, Todd Champion did some stuff, uh, and then Hercules powerbombed him. Uh, the match was – it's by far the worst match of the show. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Todd Champion did some stuff. <laughs> I mean, both of these guys, it looked like they discussed zero going out there. They had zero plan of what to do. No, zero plan. I'm telling um, you, I bet Todd Champion was just a jobber, like a local guy. And he yeah. was in the back because he probably showed up to build the ring or some bullshit. And they're like, hey, go fight Super Invader. You're on in two. Literally, they're like, put your boots on. You have two minutes to get out there or two minutes to get to the gorilla position. I mean, and he should advance super stoked. And he went out and tried to do a drop kick and he got powerbombed on his neck. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad because, I mean, he's one of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. He might be the second worst wrestler I've ever seen, <laughs> ever, uh, next to Hottie Body. But that's a whole different podcast. Um, yeah, it definitely was a terrible match, man. <laughs> I feel bad that Harley Race had to be involved in it. Um, these guys messed up everything. It looked like a women's <laughs> match. Yeah, I mean, it was it was bad. It was bad. Um, I've I, seen better matches on bumfights.com or whatever. Yeah, I've seen better AHW matches. Yeah, easily. Jesus, never thought I'd say that. But yeah, it was hilarious. Just the characters were hilarious. But um, I, I'd have to give it now, I'm not going to give it negative beers, but I'll give it one white claw. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I If you're going to do a white claw... I'm going to go, so I'm going to go, basically, I'm going to go a half a White Claw, and I'm going to go, I'm going to give it a Zima. Uh, I'm going to give it one Zima, just for the power bomb. Yeah, I also, in my notes here, wrote, Jesse Ventura's wearing a badass shirt, but <laughs> I watched this like a week ago, and I can't remember what it was. I, I know he's, what it's for. he's wearing it like a snakeskin awesome. jacket over it. Yeah, he was. He was wearing boots, and his jacket had uh, uh, tassels on them. Yeah, I can't remember the shirt now, but for some reason I wrote that in my notes. <laughs> that's, for the Super Invader Todd Champion match, yeah. I wrote, <laughs> Jesse Ventura's wearing a badass shirt. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only thing, other thing I have is Super Invader's mask was pretty much like a red stocking. Yeah, it was. We didn't even talk about that, but... <laughs> It was the worst mask of all time. No eye hole, no nose hole. That's why everything. I think basically what happened is Hercules just showed up. He wasn't even in WCW. (laughs) He just showed up and was like, I'm wrestling here tonight. And nobody was ever as afraid to say anything. So so somebody took a sock off and put it on his head and made him fight the guy beside him, which was Todd Champion. Yeah, it was hilarious. So I gave it one white claw. You gave it what? One Zima. One Zima. So there you go. That's our thoughts on what's called the worst match of the night. <laughs> Next match, almost equally as bad. Well, actually a little better, but yeah, it's um, a little better. 
good friend of the show, Ricky Morton versus Big Josh. <laughs> yeah. um, they build him as Richard Morton, too. Yeah. Um, so here we go. Here's what Meltzer said. Big Josh pinned Richard Morton um, in seven minutes and 26 seconds in another unadvertised match. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed the entire crowd considered this intermission. They both worked a solid style early, but nobody cared. Josh won with the Northern Exposure, which is just a butt drop. One star. Also, to note here, uh, Morton was a last-minute substitution. Diamond Stud, Scott Hall quit this day, <laughs> the day of the pay-per-view, um, after asking for a guaranteed contract. Um, they, get, they offered him $300 a night with no guarantee, but Scott Hall turned it down. He quit, and he would obviously go to WWF and become Razor Ramon. But he was being groomed for a program with Dustin Rose, and he was going to be Larry Sabisco's replacement in the Dangerous Alliance before he quit. That's a pretty – I mean, first of all, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, all they cared about their whole career was guaranteed contracts. <laughs> yeah, five four for years. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, you know, good on him for turning that shit down because that's – a lot of guys wouldn't turn that down. Being a replacement in the the Dangerous Alliance, and I don't know, a lot of guys just wouldn't turn that down. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about more later. But the Dangerous Alliance was incredible, and Easily incredible. Yeah, at the time, you'd look at that situation and be like, "Dude, Scott Hall's fucking crazy," but you know, obviously, he made the right choice because he would go to WWF and get the Razor Ramon character and blow up. It was incredible, yeah. I mean, so. you know, that's just a story in its own. Um, you know, Ricky Morton, friend of the podcast, what we talked to him. I guess it's been about a year since we talked. We talked to him in New Orleans. He was met up with us at Mania, right? Uh, still rocking and fucking rolling, uh, shaking and shake, rattle and roll. You know, yeah. But Rock and the, Roll Express are going to be at the Spring Break show this year. Yeah, they are. For all, any of you going to be in New York? Uh, for me. Uh, first of all, Big Josh, Matt Osborne, uh, went on to be Dork the Clown. A long time, wrestled for 30 years. Um, Big Josh is my third favorite lumberjack. Uh, <laughs> next next to uh, uh, Big Scott, and, uh, Flapjack Norton, and uh, Big John Nord. Big John Nord's my favorite lumberjack. Uh, Flapjack Norton's my second favorite. So, to be my third favorite lumberjack, Big Josh is doing something right. Um, but this match was just basically Big Josh overpowering Ricky Morton the whole time, and it was hilarious. He stood on his chest and stomped on it. Um, he tried to be he, like he was doing a log roll, like he was going with a gimmick. Uh, Morton came back with a suplex. Um, I don't know. It wasn't bad. Like, I it guess. wasn't bad. I mean, R- Ricky Morton was a good worker. He's a great. Oh, has been. Uh, Big Josh did an incredible belly-to-belly suplex, but he didn't do a cover, and Jesse Ventura was furious with him for didn't do the cover. And Jesse Ventura, and this is what I love about him, is he's still on the gimmick. The first time Big Josh tried to pin Ricky Morton, he didn't hook the leg. Like, it was a confident pin, and Jesse called him out on it. He's like, he's got to hook the leg. He's got it. Jesse immediately he's like, see – it's like, see, JR, I think he's got him if he hooks a leg right there. JR didn't even respond to it. Um, 
Yeah, at this point, Jr. wanted Ventura to die. Yeah, he won with the what would soon to be called what was uh, Doink's finish move? Whoopee cushion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Northern Exposure is a badass name for a finisher move. But yeah, for um, my third favorite lumberjack, I'm you know I'm fine. Yeah, Big Josh, hilarious character. <laughs> yeah. um, Big Josh. <laughs> How many flapjacks did Big Josh eat? I don't know. They've. By the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, please look up that fly, that flapjack promo, which is one of the greatest promos in wrestling history. <laughs> By far. We was up in the Yukon, and Big Scott comes down. <laughs> looking like only he could look. Yeah, looking like... <laughs> he ate, what was his total? He ate a... Uh, oh God, what did he say? Oh man, he said something hilarious. Yeah, he ate camp record. More, he ate any more pancakes than anybody. <laughs> oh my God, it's the best promo, dude. And he sat down in his chair with his knife and fork, <laughs> looking like only he could look. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, incredible. So look yeah. at Flapjack Norton. If anything comes out of this match, it's to expose you to the the Flapjack Norton and Big John Nord promos. Uh, yeah, John it, Nord, it, you might know him as the Berserker. It wasn't a terrible match. I have three notes for this match, and it was Big Josh, hilarious character, <laughs> Northern Exposure finisher, awesome move, and referee Bill Alfonso. I just now noticed Bill Alfonso. Like, <laughs> yeah. What is it, six match in? Yeah, six match in. Yeah, so I just now noticed Bill Alfonso. But uh, not bad. I'm going to give it three beers just because Ricky Morton's a good friend of the show and the Big Josh character is hilarious. Yeah, I'm giving it two and a half. Um, just because Big Josh is my third favorite lumberjack and you know, Ricky Morton, God, he's, we go back years. Um, he's, you know, I've seen him with Roadkill a couple times and I don't know, good friend of the show, good man, uh, big Tennessee fan. Oh yeah. Huge Tennessee fan. All right. So now we're getting into the real, you know, basically we don't have any, I think what five beers for the Freebirds is our highest rating so far. Yeah. Meltzer's highest rating might be four and a half. <laughs> but we're getting into the three matches that really saved this pay-per-view right here. Um, the next match was Brian Pillman and Tom Zink. This was a show stealer. Um, Meltzer would write, Pillman pins Tom Zink in 15 minutes and 29 seconds to retain the WCW light heavyweight title. Zink had new ring music, even less catchy than his previous music. Started slow, but built into a great match. Lots of reversing of spots, unique twists. Um, very Japanese style with all the near falls, some of which will look like a finish. It was another success for the argument that today's fans will accept and react to a match without a heel if you have action and psychology. Whether you can put it on top and have it sell tickets is a different story, but as a mid-card change of pace, these Pillman title matches against faces like Zink, Liger, and Armstrong have been a major success. Yeah. It'll give the, it'll give the wrestlers a wider uh, repertoire of things they can do to get heat and help fans better understand 
the psychology of an early part of a match. Zink was pinned after missing a drop kick off the top rope. A few of which looked like the real, or and after several near falls, a few which looked like the real finish. Three and three quarter stars. Damn. Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. You sound when you read stuff. You sound like Ben Stiller from Tropic Thunder. He's playing <laughs> that, that horse guy, whatever, with the buck teeth. I can't remember what he was doing, but when he was the basically the, we're not allowed to call him <laughs> retards already. We're the. Uh, I don't know the the needy or whatever the fuck. Uh. <laughs> well, I'll say this: in fifth grade, I was on a ninth grade reading level. So. <laughs> so, I guess that's when you quit school was in fifth grade. Um, I'm not gonna lie; this was my. I'm just gonna go ahead and say this is my favorite batch. I absolutely loved this match. It's the first match that had a true story, and I'm gonna. I'm going to go through it again. Jesse Ventura told, like, everybody shits on this guy, but he's a phenomenal announcer. So, basically, the story's billed as, you know, Pillman's not heavyweight champion. Z-Man, Tom who was an incredible, he was a very good wrestler. He just never really got over uh, as a character. I don't know if, it, I don't know why. Um, I guess it's because he was called the Z-Man, uh, Tom Zink. <laughs> that, that's my guess, is he had a shitty gimmick. But these guys were, like, the best of friends. Like, the way they booked this match is they're the best of friends. Um, the way they wrestled the match, uh, being able to counter each other. Like, they knew each other really well. And Jesse the Ventura talked about that throughout the match. He would always bring that up and be like, oh, they know each other so well. Like, you can't pull that on him. and You're not going to be able to pull that move on him. Like, they know each other's moveset. So, he keep talk- he kept talking about, like... Uh, he kept talking about them having to go outside the box, and he kept begging for one of them to cheat. Remember, he was begging for one of He's like, somebody's got to cheat to win this. Uh, yeah, I put that I put that in my notes as well. But it, it's an awesome for a face-versus-face match for a heel announcer to beg someone to be a heel. Yeah, and they told a story even in the match. Like, Pillman misses the senton, uh, and Zink, he worked the back after that. The Z-Man worked the back. And, you know, Zink missed a running knee in the corner and hurt his knee, so Pillman slapped on a figure four. So that kept doing that, going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the match had great pace. Uh, it never lost the crowd's attention. Uh, the crowd was super into it for the first time since the first match, I think. Um, and then anybody who time-traveled would have loved Big Josh, I guess. But uh, because they were about, you know, lumberjacks and wrestling, but they didn't. But the big move is like uh, Pillman got caught in the power slam and then he kicked out at two. Um, oh, man, it was so, such a good match. Um, crowd ate it up. I don't know. It was, just, it was phenomenal. I had a great time watching this match and it kind of made me miss Tom Zink and Brian Pillman. Like, a lot of people, if you don't know Tom Zink, the Z-Man, I know his name. He's on that WCW set of cards, that 92 WCW set of cards that we both have full autograph sets of. Right. Uh, but if you go back and watch his matches, it doesn't matter who he's with. He does a hell of a job. Uh, you know, ended up point, Pillman avoided a missile drop kick, jackknife Zink into a pin. Um, I think it was the best match on the card. It was my favorite match. 
What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was a show stealer for sure. It was fun to watch. Um, it basically while watching it, it just made me really miss Brian Pillman, who, yeah. you know, from the beginning of his career to the end, I feel it's like one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. But he is fantastic in this. I I even wrote in my notes that it was an excellent match, and but. Tom Zink couldn't keep up. And I don't mean that as a slight to Tom Zink, who was also incredible, but I just feel like Pillman was that good at that time. Oh, yeah. He, Pillman was in his prime. Yeah. Uh, Zink was good, but, he, yeah, he's he's nothing compared to Pillman, for sure. No. And but it kind of showed in this. I, it felt like Tom Zink was trying to keep up with Pillman the whole time. Yeah. But, and, um, I don't, everybody I don't know. did a good job on this match. The announcers, the referee, like everybody did a good job on it. And they yeah, told I, a story the whole, but I, I don't know. It was just a great story. Yeah, it was a great story about how they knew each other. They were friends, so they knew each other's moves. It was hard to get an advantage. Um, Ventura begging for one of them to be a heel was awesome. Yep. You don't see that. Announcing is so terrible in 2019. It it's makes you really it makes you really appreciate this kind of announcing that, like, helps tell the story of the match. Phenomenal. Like, it, it had me wondering, like, you know, even though I've seen it, you know, it's still his announcement had me wondering, like, shit, everything that's going to happen, one of these guys is going to turn heel tonight. Like, somebody has to turn heel. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was awesome. They both worked their ass off, and I loved it from start to finish. I thought it was great. I did put in my notes, hilarious – if you look at when Tom Zink was making his entrance, the pyro went off and it scared him to death. He like, he like jumped when the pyro went off, <laughs> uh, which was hilarious. But I um, did, I did an not awesome, awesome, awesome match. Um, besides War Games, the best match on the card by far. I I'm gonna go ahead and give it eight beers. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna I'm giving it eight and a half. Uh, eight and a half beers. It's to me, it was amongst. I mean, I think that match could stand up. I think that match could stand the test of time on any pay per view anywhere. Um, obviously, it's not a main event. It definitely it, it can just stand up anywhere. Uh, great match. Yeah, in a time of big men, these two smaller guys really put on the show. And you know, Pillman was such so ahead of his time, man. He was. God, Pillman was, was awesome, man. I miss I miss him so much. I mean, I'm I'm best friends with his son on Instagram, but yeah, um, um, good good. He's a fan of the show. I, it yeah. does make you realize, like, when you go back and watch stuff like that, like as good as Pillman was, imagine, you know, if he would have had another five seven years, like who knows? I don't know. We we'd just still be yeah. talking about him as a lot he more was, than we should. He was always ahead of his time. In in 92, he was wrestling way ahead of his time, doing moves that no one else was doing. And in 96, 95, 96, 97, he was cutting promos that was way ahead of his time. Yeah, he pulled a gun. He pulled a gun out at his home. Like, yeah, he's coming up with so much great shit. He, I mean, God, that's what I was thinking this whole time. I mean, it was a great match to watch, and it was a lot of fun. But I was just like, God, I miss Pillman, man. It made me want to go back and watch the Pillman documentary because, which is incredible. Yeah, I love Brian Pillman, man. 
Underrated, underrated wrestler. Yeah, big time underrated. So the next match would be the Rick and Scott Steiner versus, here we go, Takayuki, Azuka, <laughs> Tatsumi Fujinama. I want to go back and listen to the first time I pronounce it and this time I pronounce it. But So they, they beat them in 18 minutes and 16 seconds to become the number one contenders for the IWGP tag titles. Meltzer would say, can you, can you imagine the confusion of an average fan having to wade through WCW tag titles, NWA tag titles, IWGP tag titles, and U.S. tag titles all being talked about in a promotion that really only has one tag team that's over and never loses? <laughs> this is the kind of match, because of the submission moves and the amateur moves, that the announcer really has to be on top of it in detail, and Ross was very strong. This was something of a massacre. Brutal, but maybe too brutal. Azuka's face was destroyed. No word on how serious he was hurt, other than that there was fear he had a few and his eye was swollen shut. As it turns out, there are no broken bones, but his face was really puffy the next day. The Steiners did a lot of super moves, and Azuka was pretty impressive, as expected. Um, the Japanese were booed as heels, and they played heels in the ring. Um... With the continued mention of Steiner's challenging for the IWGP tag titles, they needed to mention the champions, which were Bam Bam Bigelow and Bay, Bay, Big Van Vader, but there was no mention of that at all. Rick yeah. and Azuka, um, let's see here, who isn't well known in the country, he's a legitimate, or Fujinami, who isn't well known in this country, is a legitimate legend in the business, and it's almost like the Steiners are treating him a little better than just another jobber. Three and three-quarter star. <laughs> All right. Sorry, so I got a huge had... dip, and it was hard to read that. Yeah, like I said, you read it like Ben Stiller from Cotton <laughs> uh, I forget what his name is, but he had that bowl cut. He looked like fucking... Happy Jack. Lloyd, Lloyd Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's Happy Jack. Yeah, Happy Jack. Whatever, yeah, you obviously know what it is. So the way I look at this match is, first of all, you're going to have a match like this. The Steiners have already been to Japan. They understand Japan. So you're going to bring these two guys over. And they weren't like, this was like a serious match. Like this was a part of another, another, uh, another thing. <laughs> uh, you know, number one contender match. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> oh God. Speaking of Japan. Uh, <laughs> Uh, is it close to you? Or is no, it you can go ahead. It's way down the road. All right. Um, so I look at this as like the Steiners are the only they're the only tag team you can put up against these guys because they understand the strong style as you would put it nowadays. But Japanese wrestling was like it was physical. I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm screaming into this microphone and no one can hear me. Yeah, I can't hear you. Um, uh, this this train is brought to you by a message, a message of our sponsor, Pinkerton. Um, 
down here in the middle of the road for no reason. Eh, it's Miami. But we, we just had a two-minute break for a train, but that was hilarious. Yeah. So, anyway, getting back to what I was talking about, you know, it's it's always a physical match when it comes to Japan. And when the U.S. guys go over to Japan, they usually get the shit kicked out of them. Um, they usually put over the Japanese wrestlers. That's a whole thing. I mean, there's a whole um, – story from tons of wrestlers getting a jacket at a restaurant when you go over and you play the hard style. Um, so it's no surprise that these, it's no surprise that Tatsumi Fujinami and Takeyuki Lazuka come <laughs> over and <laughs> get the shit kicked out of them by the Steiners. It was a great match. I loved it. It was a physical match. They beat the shit out of each other. Uh, there was fucking Boston Crabs. There was a uh, I think at one point, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami tried to do like a doomsday device crossbody. Oh my god! Into that, a huge power. Do what? That move was insane. And he got caught into that huge power slam. Um, you know he. That's what fucked his face up basically. And there was just a bunch of. I mean, I don't even know who was the legal man most of the time in that match. And then uh, Steiner took some bumps for a while. Uh, Scott Steiner did. And then, you know, they did a Steiner line. All four men, they just started beating the shit out of each other. Uh, There was a super belly, belly, belly to belly to win. Um, The main thing that stood out in this match for me was Jim Ross was confused. And he literally, he goes, and this is, I'm not going to say word for word, but this is pretty close. Jim Ross goes, uh, I don't know if you folks sitting at home watching this uh, like Japanese people or not, uh, but whether you do or whether you don't, uh, some, you know, some do, some some do, some don't. Uh, but either way, you got to show them. Yeah, these guys are damn good workers in the ring. You got to show them some respect. Uh, and that's what Jim Ross said. He may have been drunk <laughs> at that point, but yeah. he definitely said that. 
you know, I don't, I don't know if you folks sitting at home like Japanese people or not. You know, some of you may, some of you may not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there was hilarious racist commentary on this, but it um, was. He was acting like we just came out of Pearl Harbor, like yeah. World War II. Can you like, imagine in 2019 Corey Graves going? I don't know if you guys like Japanese people or not. Yeah, but some of you might, some of you might yeah. not. Either here's, way, it's okay. Here's Nakamura. I don't know if some of you like Japanese people or not, but in 1992, I guess it was okay. But it was completely fine. Nobody ever even thought about. It. Everybody was like, "Oh yeah, shit, Japanese wrestlers. That's cool. Never seen them because they'd yeah. never been on TV. You know, you didn't see a lot of Japanese wrestlers on American television." Well, that's um, what I noticed about this match was obviously in 2019, New Japan has crossed over to the United States. A lot of wrestling fans know what New Japan is. But um, back then, you know, it was really hard to watch New Japan from the United States. You couldn't watch it at all. So this Japanese style wasn't – a lot of U.S. fans haven't seen it. So it was cool to bring the Japanese style over here. Obviously a lot more hard-hitting. Um, it was a fun match to watch. Azuka was a younger guy at this time in 1992. He actually just had his retirement match in New Japan recently. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So, pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I wrote some of my notes. I wrote that this, I, you forget how awesome the signers were in the 90s. Dude, they were unbelievable. Dude, when, they, was... when they wore those Michigan jackets – and Scott Steiner had that mullet, dude. They were unbeatable. Un, unbeatable. Which I guess is true. Which I guess is true because Meltzer put that in his notes that they never lose. But um, Steiner's were incredible. Um, the Japanese style was fun to watch. Um, the the crossbody off of the Doomsday device that you mentioned was one of the craziest moves I've seen. I thought he was dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a fun match to watch for me. Um, the commentary was hilarious for the stuff that we <laughs> mentioned earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also a line that Jesse Ventura said that I wrote down. Jesse Ventura said, this is about more than wrestling, Jim Ross. This is Detroit cars versus Japanese cars. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not wrong. Like, in 92, that's what it was. Like, it was that. Like, you got to... <laughs> yeah, there's people that just because these guys were Japanese, they were heels. Yeah, exactly. They're coming to America and they're fighting Americans. Like that's the the I mean the beautiful thing about wrestling is you can bill it that way. But when it was all said and done, the Steiners and Tatsumi Fujinami and Takayuki Izuka, I said that incredible right there, by the way. They put, sat in the back and drank beers when the show was over and showed each other respect and thanked each other and probably wrestled again a couple months down the road in Japan. Yeah, I have, I mean, I watch New Japan probably more than any other wrestling, and I have no idea how to pronounce these guys' name, but like I said, Azuka just had his retirement match. Fujinami is a legend. He was He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Um, it was a fun match from the beginning to end. It was brutal. These guys beat the shit out of each other for real. I mean, it, it was a fun match for me to watch. I gave it eight stars as well, or eight stars, eight beers as well. <laughs> eight beers. I'm giving it. I'm giving it seven and a half beers. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was phenomenal. 
Uh, I love the fact that Japanese wrestlers didn't stand down. You know, they weren't, they came for a fit. They came for a war. Um, Good old fashioned storytelling. It's just, and then, you know, 90s, early 90s Steiners were just on another level than everyone else. Yeah, they were incredible. And I also agree because I put it in my notes with Meltzer that it was hilarious to me that it was a number one contender match for the New Japan Tag Titles, but no mention of the New Japan Tag Titles throughout the whole match or Vader and Bigelow, which think of how awesome that tag team was back then. God damn it, dude. I, Vader and Bigelow was probably un, they're probably unbeatable too. Who knows? I want to know what happened in, when they fought the Steiners. Yeah, because that match had to be in Japan. Yeah, I know they have a lot of old matches on New Japan World. I wonder if we could go back and find Steiners versus Bigelow and Vader. That'd be incredible. Yeah, maybe we'll just review that match one day. Maybe we'll I'll write this down and we'll just review that match because. I'll, if you tell me it's Bigelow and Vader versus Steiners, I'm watching every time. I don't yeah. care what era or year uh, it is. I'm watching every time. All right, so we're finally here. The main event, War Games. 85 degrees. I'm pouring sweat. I don't know how much voice I have left. We've dealt with ambulances, police sirens, trains. Everything you can think of, but we're finally here. Main event, war games. The reason we're here, I actually had to go inside. I had to do <laughs> one of those. Got the old school PBR out. Yeah. I uh, I don't even know how many beers I had. I'm pretty. I'm getting hammered though right now. I'm losing my voice. I, I I'm. This is the most reading I've done in years. Yeah, you uh. I don't even know. <laughs> All right, so War Games. Sting's Squadron, which was made up of Sting, Nikita Koloff, Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham, and Dustin Rhodes against a dangerous alliance led by the great Paul Heyman, made up of Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Sabisco, and stunning Steve Austin. Sting's Squadron... Sting Squadron <laughs> would win war games in 23 minutes and 25 seconds. Gary Capetta, Gary Michael Capetta, did a super job in making the announcement of the rules in a tone of uh, voice that built great tension into the match. Um, this is, of course, Meltzer's notes. Meltzer has thorough notes on this. I'm not going to read all of it because I can't read, obviously, but <clears throat> I'm going to try to break down a little bit of this. Um, they should have been going through those rules in detail on television leading up to the show. They didn't, of course. He's really mad at the build-up of the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Indom and Austin started with Austin juicing early. I mean, all the, the cutting, the juicing in this match was hilarious. It um, was. Wyndham cut himself as well. Rude came in, followed by Steamboat. The match never slowed down, not even for one second. Anderson and Rhodes were next. Then came Sabisco. At this point, Medusa climbed the cage and dropped the phone into the ring. Anderson used it to crack Rose in the head, and Rose did a juice job that would make his father proud. Um, Anderson and Wyndham wound up bleeding. Basically, everybody juiced. Yeah. There's so much action back and forth that you can't even describe it. Um, Austin, Anderson, Rose, Steamboat in particular were nothing short of fantastic. 
which isn't a slight to anybody else in this match. The only ones who weren't wrestling on a plane well above Earth were Koloff, who was fine, and Sabisco, whose role wasn't to be wrestling but to build heat for the turn. Eaton, who had no business in there, bad, um, was fine, but he also suffered from being hurt. Sting came in, showed no signs of being injured. So basically, for those of you who don't know, Bobby Eaton and Sting were both hurt coming in this match. Eaton suffered a blown-out shoulder on television the previous Monday. He tried to stay out of the action as much as possible, but still be involved. <coughs> was the last man in. And for the last several minutes, Sabisco was undoing the top rope in one of the ring corners to get the metal thing that holds the turnbuckle to the post out. He finally undid it and swung it like a baseball bat at Sting. Sting moved, and it hit Eaton in his bad shoulder, which uh, should explain the shoulder injury for further tapings. Um, Sting made him submit to an arm lock. After the match, Sabisco argued with the rest of his team, teasing a breakup. Definite match of the year candidate, five stars. Five stars, huh? Jesus. Okay. Um, I don't know. First of all, it's funny how he said that about – I had to rewind it and listen to the referee announce the rules twice <laughs> because it, honest to God, seemed like nobody had any idea what the rules were. If you go back and watch it, when he's saying the rules, he's, like, thinking in his head, like, what the fuck – what the fuck should I say next? Like, what the fuck happens next? Like, this is this and this is that. Like, I don't know. It seemed like they struggled a little bit. <laughs> I love the match. It was it was fucking hilarious. Um, when you're talking about <laughs> Larry Sabisco uh, taking the or what? Who? What, what, what did you say? Yeah, Larry Larry Sabisco took the turnbuckle down or whatever, like unbroke it or whatever the fuck happened. Yeah, he basically took the turnbuckle off to expose the middle part. Yeah. And then used that as a weapon. So, there was one, at one point, Jesse Ventura was talking about Bobby Eaton trying to repair it and talking about how good of a man he was. (laughs) I have that written down in my notes for some reason. Uh, I don't really remember that. But, um, as far as the match went, Austin... You know, there's no better way to start it than Austin. I mean, they're Austin and Barry Windham are great. Uh, great way to open the match. Um, you know, Austin, they all bled. Nobody bled the hard way, I feel like. Um, basically, when Steamboat came in, the crowd shit. Um, Rick Rude was – he was U.S. champion, right, at the time? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was U.S. champion, and he had – just came over to WCW that year. Um, so he was pretty, pretty popular. Um, what was funny to me was, see, I don't even know where to start with this match. It, so they did the coin tosses and, you know, the crowd was super into it. So when, you know, the coin toss happened, everybody was into it. Um, Arn Anderson comes in, Arn Anderson. I need to say something about Arn Anderson. Um, I need to apologize to Andy Ball because he was super upset over the joke uh, you made about Arn Anderson saying that he didn't care about him and stuff like that. So I'm going to apologize for Buck to you, Andy. Um, I know you're a big fan, Andy, but you didn't. You've never had a Arn Anderson art show. So 
I think that's next on your agenda. Um, I have a couple notes written down, like Dustin Rhodes put Larry Sabisco in the figure four, use the top ropes, top ropes for leverage. Uh, Jesse Ventura went crazy. I don't know. This was to me. This match was hilarious. A lot of fire, nonstop. There's some guys that had no business being in there, like Nikita Koloff. They all they wondered if is like him and Sting are going to get along. It was a shitload of stories in there, and a lot of stuff happened. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't really know what was going on the whole time. There was so much, <laughs> so much shit happening. Yeah, uh, Medusa I've... threw over that Zach Morris phone. Uh, climb the cage. <laughs> yeah, I think Meltzer did a good job in saying it was very fast-paced. Like, basically, <clears throat> so War Games, I hope everyone has seen the War Games at this point, but... They're incredible. A fun-ass match to watch. Dusty Rhodes invention. Five-on-five or four-on-four match where... Two guys start, and then one guy from each team comes in like every two minutes, I think. Or five minutes, I can't remember. Hold on. Baddest dude on the block is all about his motorcycle. Oh, again? Damn. Yeah. What kind of motorcycle is it? I can't say he's got lights on the bottom of it, though. Is he riding through this world all alone? Yeah, he's all by himself. <laughs> you didn't You didn't even get the joke there? Damn, you suck. I did. I just want to be an asshole. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> It was very fast-paced. Basically, whenever someone came in, they immediately, like, hit all their spots, whooped everybody's ass, and then by the time that was done, the next person came in super fast. Everybody juiced themselves. If you don't know what juice is, it means they use a razor blade to cut their foreheads open. Yeah, they bladed. I mean, Austin's blade was awesome. Rose's blade was awesome. I mean, these guys were bleeding like a motherfucker. Um, they, it was just so fast, so much going on in such a short period of time that it was really hard to keep up, but an insane amount of talent in one A match. shitload of talent, a shitload of Hall of Fame. It almost makes you wonder, like, because, all right, think about booking a match like that. <laughs> Everybody's sitting in the room talking about how to book this. Your agent's booking this thing, and it's basically a sprint, it's just a ton of sprints. It's like, all right, these two guys start out as a sprint. Another guy comes in, a big, a quick sprint, and then a quick sprint, blah, blah, blah. So you're booking this match. You have, if you really look at the pay-per-view in general, and maybe, you know, you have the first match, which is incredible. Then it's a big lull and everybody's bored. Then you have a couple good matches leading up to, like, this giant sprint. So it doesn't really matter what happened in the pay-per-view. When, when this match was over for me, I was I, I was tired. It's like, oh, my God, what the fuck just happened? Like, I was rewinding certain things. Uh, so much talent, so much Hall of Fame talent, great wrestlers. There's really – this is the type of match where there's really no wrestling involved, no, like, Matt – like, true style to it. Uh, you just kick fucking ass, uh, and you have to fight. You have to outlast everything. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you felt about that. No, I agree with you. It was super fast-paced, but the level of talent was insane. I mean, Sting's team had Sting, Dustin Rose, Ricky Steamboat. I mean, these are legends. They're Hall of Famers. Um, Wyndham, Hall of Famer. Nikita Koloff was awesome back then. 
God damn it. Here comes another train. Here comes another train. I see it in the distance. I mean, what the fuck happened to the train? They can't go any farther south than you can. I don't know. We've we've done an hour and a half show and there's been four trains. Jesus God. What are they what kind of trains are they? Well, one the first two were passenger trains. That long ass one was a cargo train. I can't tell what this is yet. A passenger train. So where the fuck are they taking passengers? At midnight? I have no idea. <laughs> Back to the ocean? No, these things are moving north. God damn, alright. Here it comes. I can't even get into what I was saying yet. We're going to have to take another train break. Yeah, so another sponsor. Graffiti on the side of the train is hunting for Nashville. <laughs> yeah, it's heading for, it's definitely heading back to Nashville. Still going. <laughs> what do you think? Is this one Union Pacific or what? Even though it's about the end of the south? The Florida East Coast train. Literally nothing but dirt. <laughs> My God. There's one thing that people love on a podcast is train breaks. Yeah, I bet. Uh, name another podcast in the world that takes a break for trains. I don't think there is one. All right, it's gone. But yeah, so Sting Squadron was awesome, but <laughs> the Dangerous Alliance, in my opinion, one of the most underrated stables of all time. Um, Let's think about this. 1992. Sorry, that train took so long. My God, that's the most dirt I've ever seen in my life. I just had to... What was it hauling? It was literally just things of dirt. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take the dirt up north. Uh, Transatlantic Air Ra- Railroad. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but Dangerous Lines, man. Paul Heyman, at the time, he had that phone. He had that mullet. Just an incredible manager. They had Medusa. They had, I mean, Rick Rude, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Incredible. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Um, Arn Anderson, one of our favorites of all time. 
Bobby Eaton, one of the best workers of all time. Great friend of the show. Yeah, good friend of the show. Beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, I actually met him in the airport. The first time I met him was at, at the Atlanta airport. And this stupid-ass little shit walked up and called him Beautiful Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> um, to which I responded to as, no, sorry, Beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, and he signed my napkin first. So... That kid, you know, he's probably still coming in second. Uh, he's probably a piece of shit. Uh, if you're listening, I don't care if you stop listening. So, Yeah, he's probably driving that goddamn train. He probably is because he but, needs to haul dirt somewhere. Just, I mean, Larry Sabisco, a legend, literally the living legend, Larry Sabisco. And honestly, Sabisco, at the end of his career, you know, Sabisco's famous for, for going against Bruno uh, Nick Bockwinkle way back in the day, but the end of his career, he he did a really good job commentating on you know the confrontations of the NWO about how he's done wrestling, he's over this shit, but he always stood up for Shivani. He always stood up for the announcement. He was the wrestler that announced. So I mean, Savisco was relevant for a long time. Yeah, and he was super over during that NWO run too. Yeah, he was. He, everybody loved him. Everybody's always loved Larry Savisco. Yeah, they were, and when people talk about the great stables in wrestling history, the Horsemen, DX, NWO, all these people, you don't ever really hear about the Dangerous Alliance, but the Dangerous Alliance, so stacked, so incredible to watch. Yeah, A great heel, just perfect heels. Perfect. Against you... per- and in this match against perfect baby faces. Yep. And it's booked wonderful. Booked wonderfully. Super fast paced, like we said. A lot going on. But the story that was told was great. And Sting getting the win. Sabisco starting this turn where he's against his team. Bobby Eaton working with that hurt shoulder. Austin blading the fuck out of himself. Dustin Rose working hard. Wyndham working hard. I mean, all these people. Koloff going into the match, you didn't know whose side Koloff was on. He helped yeah, shoot he, his team. I mean, it was so awesome to watch. Yeah, it was. I'm going to be honest, like half the time I didn't know what was going on because there was so much going on, but I was super stoked. I paid attention. And, like, if you really think about it, name 1992 – like, the Heenan family is starting, you know, by May that year, the Heenan family is starting to kind of drop off. There's really not a Heenan family. There's really not a stable at that time. It's it basically, you know, there's no four horsemen at that time. It, the Dangerous Alliance was the stable in wrestling. Would you agree? And halfway through the year 1992, like, if you look back in all of wrestling, I, I don't know another stable. In 92? No, because at this time, WWF was doing, like, Flair versus Savage, and they were doing, like, Hogan and Sid Justice, all that kind of stuff. There wasn't a, there wasn't really another huge stable in wrestling that I know of. And no, it was just, yeah, the Heenan family, and they were kind of on the last leg, the Heenan family. Yeah, because Heenan was, like, full-time announcing at this point. Yeah. I just, man... I love the Dangerous Alliance. I love Rick Rude's WCW run. I think it's really underrated. 
Um, Austin was incredible at this time. Obviously, he would go on to become Stone Cold and be, you know, a top five wrestler of all time, but a tremendous worker. This was before he hurt his neck. Yeah. Tremendous worker at the time. He did great in this match. He started it, and he worked the whole time. Dust, a young Dustin Rhodes right here who did phenomenal. Wyndham, who's a legendary worker. Eaton, who's a legendary worker. I mean, there's just so much greatness in this ring at one time. Yeah, it was it was great. Let me ask you a question. And I had this on my mind, like watching Paul Heyman uh, or Paul, Paulie Dangerously run around as a manager. Do you think, like, so basically in 1992, you know, Hogan's on his last run. I, You know, as Paul, Paulie Dangerously reminded me a lot of Jimmy Hart in a way, like taking the one, like taking his phone, like Jimmy Hart had the microphone and the way they acted and kind of ran around and like distracted everything. They were always like in your way. Like they're always waving their arms in your way. Do you see like a comparison to like an early Jimmy Hart there at all? Or is that just me? No, I could see him as a heel Jimmy Hart, but back then, that was a great thing about managers. They weren't a physical presence. They weren't just a microphone. They weren't – it's nothing you see in wrestling now, but they were annoying guys who were always in the way and yeah, always were trying to way. find the easy way out, especially heel managers. Heel, heel managers were always great. Yeah, incredible. Like, just sneaking around. Like, they're just a guy who gets to be out there that fucks with shit. Like, they're just always in the way, like, waving their arms and, like, I don't know. And man- managers are something that I feel really, even in 2019, would work, and nobody uses them anymore. But, you know, you hear guys like Jim Cornette and Bruce Pitcher talk about how great managers are and how they can really put a character over the top. I mean, you look at Paul Heyman, I mean, what is it, 27 years later and what he's doing with Brock Lesnar. He's still keeping – I mean, not like – you know, Brock Lesnar's keeping himself on top, but without Paul Heyman, you know, Brock Lesnar doesn't get that voice to the crowd. He just has to be, I don't know, he's just, he's not the beast incarnate. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's 27 years later, and he's still, yeah. you know, such a great voice and such a great manager. And man, I just love the Dangerous Alliance so much. They were so awesome. A big reason why I wanted to cover this pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, so we, we could talk about all these great guys. I mean, Bobby Eaton, man. If you don't know anything about Bobby Eaton, you need to go back and watch some of his stuff. Yeah, he even he was phenomenal even as the squire. As the yeah. squire. Like, One of the – if you ask wrestlers, like, who are the best people, best wrestlers of all time, a lot of guys will say Bobby Eaton. They're going to say Bobby Eaton. They're going to say William Regal. They're going to say Dave Taylor. Uh, that's just one. We're just gonna say blue bloods. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of my favorite factions of all time. But uh, yeah, there's nobody that ever says a bad word about Bobby. Nobody, Flair, any. And when you hear Flair and Dusty, when you know they hear the name Bobby Eaton mentioned, they never say a bad word about him and how good of a worker he is. Uh, same goes for Arn Anderson too. Uh, maybe the greatest worker in the history of the business. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the best interviews of all time. Yep. Phenomenal. Uh, underrated interviews. Yep. 
uh, psychology before there was psychology. Yeah. So let's uh, let's give a rating on this. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the match in general. I'm gonna go eight and a half beers. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm gonna go nine beers. Meltzer gave it his full five stars. I'm not gonna give it ten beers. It was kind of as great as it was, and as great as everyone in this match was. It was so fast paced that it, at times it was really confusing. Yeah. Um, it was like so much at one time to like kind of absorb. So yeah. And I'm going to give it nine beers. Yeah. I like my eight and a half. And I think that's the point of war games is that it is, it is, you know, games at war. Uh, it is a lot to absorb. It's just going to be pure chaos. There's going to be shit going on everywhere. Uh, for those of you who have never seen a war games, please just pick one and watch them. There's they're phenomenal. Um, they're, they're crazy, they're insane, and it's just the crowds going shit. If you look at the way the cage was constructed, it, it's horrifying to look at that cage to see who knows how they even made that work. <laughs> yeah, there's so many fun war games, and the early ones with the Road Warriors and the Horsemen. and Yeah. This one was awesome, and then, of course, I mean, I'll never forget Vader and Sid powerbombing people to death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many the nasty boys with Dusty. Yep. I mean, the NWO war games, and then even the NXT war games that they've done the last couple of years were awesome. There's a reason why war games is still around. Yeah, it's so much fun to watch. Yep. I, I highly recommend this pay per view overall. I mean, obviously, as we discussed, you could skip everything except for the last three matches. And be fine watching this. Yeah. But this for somebody who is highly frustrated with 2019 wrestling, this was a really fun watch. Yeah, I had a blast. Even the slow matches were hilarious. Like, I don't know, just watching everything and seeing old school guys and seeing, you know, who they were in 92 compared to who they were in 95 or compared to who they were in 88. Like, where they came from, where they went, seeing just that part of their career, that one match is, I don't know, it's its pretty fucking cool. Even if it's, you know, the shitty matches, like, I, I'm not going to lie, I popped for Big Josh. Like, I'm like, shit, that's fucking Doink the Clown. Last thing I remember in New Orleans was Doink the Clown before I blacked out at three in the morning. So. Okay, so wrapping up what is probably our longest podcast to date, um, Let's go ahead and give a, a 10 beer review or 10 beer rating on the, the show overall. All right. So, overall, here's what I'll rate the show. It started off with a bang, slowed down a little bit, but the honestly, the slowdown wasn't as brutal as it was made out to be for me because I just enjoy you know, seeing where these guys, like, I don't know. I just enjoy, now I'm older, so, like, I get excited about seeing guys. Um, I like girls, though, just so you know. Um, but, uh. Jury's still out. <laughs> um, I don't know. Going into the end of the pay-per-view, ending with a bang. I'm, I'm going to give this thing total overall pay-per-view rating of seven and a half beers. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, to be honest, the first, besides the last three matches, it was awful match-wise. But just like I said, as somebody who watches wrestling today and gets highly frustrated with how it's done and how it used to be, to go back and watch a show like this from 1992, even the terrible matches, there was fun stuff that I enjoyed throughout the show. From the Freebirds at the very beginning, all the way to War Games at the end. And I'll say overall, it was a very fun show to watch, and I'm going to give it seven beers. Yeah. I think we're on the same page of that. I liked it. It's a blast. It's worth watching. Um, you know, honestly, if you roll through 1992 WCW pay-per-views, there's some gems there. There's some great feuds, great matches. There's also some hilarious shit that you'll see. Yeah, and they have a lot of WCW Saturday Nights on the network from that time period that are, really, that are really, really good. Yeah, yep. incredible. It's a fun time to watch WCW. But yeah, there it is. Our very first review show. I think we knocked it out of the park. Um, uh, exactly right. <clears throat> yeah, we um, definitely had some drinks. Um, the outdoor elements definitely hit us. But I, I thought think, it was perfect. Yeah, I think we did well. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you have any suggestions of other pay-per-views you want us to review, let us know. Um, I guess we should just say this was an Andy Ball recommendation, and we did it. It was, yeah. But it was a really fun show to watch. Yeah, I loved it. I had a blast, and I laughed. Like, I don't know. I laughed a lot during it. I had a great time. It's 100% worth watching. Um, Anything that gets over seven beers from either of us, you should either A, already know, or B, uh, be watching the moment you hear this podcast. Yeah, for sure I would go back and watch those last three matches if you enjoyed this podcast. But, yeah, there it is, our very first review show. We killed it. Um, before we say goodbye, we do want to mention um, just happened today, uh, Luke Perry passed away. It seems like every episode we got to talk about somebody passing away. but <laughs> It uh, does. Luke Perry, 52 years old, suffered from a stroke, passed away today. Um, legendary actor. I grew up on 90210. Yeah. My, my favorite shows when I was a kid. Um, eight Seconds was incredible. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend that movie. Um, the wrestling tie-in, he was a producer on the Andre the Giant documentary that just came out. Yeah, for HBO. As well as his son is a pro wrestler who uh, is signed to All Elite Wrestling, wrestles for PWG. Actually did a PWG show last weekend. So, yep. um, Jungle Boy, obviously our thoughts go out to him. You know, it's never easy to lose your dad. But, um, yeah, legend, we wanted to pay our respects because... Like I said, man, 90210 was a big part of my childhood from my age group. And um, yeah. he was awesome. Mine too. I I just want to dedicate this show to him, uh, to his family. 
Um, I'm sure Jungle Boy's listening, but um, yeah, it's weird. Today was weird. Uh, I went to work. You know, I was up at 6 a.m. I uh, ready to work. I uh, went to work and then went to the bank. And at the bank, honest to God, I watched Tough Eaterman's video. Like it, it got sent to me, and I watched. I had no idea Luke Perry died. Um, and I watched Tough Eaterman's like real life video of where he rode ten more seconds for Lane Frost and got off. You know, eight seconds is phenomenal. Uh, I, you know, Luke Perry playing Lane Frost, the greatest bull rider ever. Um, in a smaller show, he was in Jericho, an end of the world show. Um, I don't know, just a, you know, he's a, he's a friend of the wrestling business. He's part of the wrestling family. So I just want to dedicate the podcast to him. Yeah. A huge fan of Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair in that era of wrestling, which is, you know, one of the best eras ever, but, um, he he was currently on a show called Riverdale, which I don't watch, but yeah, I don't watch either. Um, yeah, he was awesome, and Dylan McKay, original badass. Yep, original badass. But, um, probably would have been in a war games. Uh, probably would have been in war games. Yeah, this uh, and it's crazy because you. I mean, it sucks that all these people are passing away, but, man, Dylan McKay died. It makes me feel old as shit. Yeah, everybody Um, that we grew up on is dying right now. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a good thing we'll never die, so. Yeah, we'll be around for a while. Yeah. But, yeah, there you go. Dedicated to Luke Perry. Rest in peace. Um, I hope you enjoyed the review show. As always, Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube will eventually have all our episodes on it. Jamie, do you have an update on the Facebook page? Yeah, so the word on the street is with, uh, with my uh, social media team out here, uh, the Facebook page is about to go live with a possible Roadkill promo. Wow. Yeah. Uh, We've been working on this a lot. I mean, I don't know if you guys understand this, but it takes a long time to create a Facebook page uh, and make it perfect. So we're doing this right. It's possible that this goes live with a roadkill promo. Uh, It's still in the young stage, so we'll see. Maybe Sunday. Who knows? There you go. Something to look forward to for the weekend. So. Yeah, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think. Please tell your friends about the show. Um, more listens to get, more money we make. Um, not that we need the money, but, you know, it's nice. Um, it's just nice to do everything for free. Yeah. This was our first review show, so definitely let us know what you thought about that. If you want us to keep doing these. Uh, obviously, we're going to do movies as well. We have a first movie in mind already. Yep, it's going to happen soon. Yeah, that's going to be coming up soon. So we're going to be knocking these out, man. I had a lot of fun doing this, actually. So, Yep, hopefully we'll do more. Yeah, and we, I know it, this is a little longer than our regular show, but hey, man, we got to cover that Super Invader match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we also had about 20 minutes worth of train breaks. 
So I apologize for the elements. You can blame my mom. I like Ann. I'll never blame Ann. Well, you can blame Rachel. Oh, yeah, I'll blame the shit out of Rachel. And I hope you guys have fun, man. We did. We'll see you next week. Peace.